we have Spiridon Maniotis uh, from Danske Bank. Uh, Spiridon will basically talk us through an evolutionary journey um, of their, their setups in Danske Bank. Um, really interesting to, to hear this. So over to you, Spiridon. Very well, thank you very much. Um, thanks to everyone for attending. My name is Piridon and I'm, I'm heading the DevSecOps Center of Excellence at uh, Danske Bank. I'm here today uh, to give you a little bit of taste on how we do evolve our DevSecOps uh, adoption, looking at it from a 360 perspective. A little bit of the agenda, I'll tell you first of all who we are and give you a little bit of a sneak peek of the transformation that is currently undergoing at the firm. We'll tell you what was our starting point more than a year ago. Uh, how have we decided to, to move ahead with the 360 model? How do we make sure that we do this evolution in alignment and at relevance, which is two aspects that we consider very important. A sneak peek on where we are with the multi-hybrid cloud approach, patterns and anti-patterns that we have discovered and we keep discovering. And I will make sure, hence the timer here, if I look to my left is the timer, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to leave at least five minutes at the end for your questions. So basically going directly into it, we are a Nordic bank. We are headquartered in Copenhagen uh, and we have been through uh, quite of a major transformation that started more than a year ago. Currently, we are being segmented into two core business areas. The one is the personal and business customers and the second one is the large corporates and institutions. We're organized following the Spotify model into 26 business tribes, and we have 12 COEs uh, side by side. On our technological footprint, we have more than 4,000 people employed in technology areas, uh, while having technology centers and delivery teams in the four Nordic countries, Lithuania and India. The Nordics are our home markets, obviously, but also we do have global operations in 12 countries in total. Now, more than a year ago, we started a journey that we call it a better bank by 2023. And this is the largest transformation that the bank has been undergoing in its uh, history. What basically we want to achieve with this transformation is three main objectives. The one is to digitalize our customer journeys, both uh, external client to the bank, internal business units to IT and IT to IT, uh, uplift our enterprise agility capabilities. The adaptation of the Spotify model is one example and then do a very brave and generous technology industrialization uh, in order to be able to be future fit for purpose from a technological perspective. We work into these three pillars in alignment and we see a DevOps 360 degree evolution as an enabler on the one hand to materialize the ambition across these pillars, but at the same hand to, to make sure that we move them into harmony. So a little bit on what was our starting point. So DevOps as a concept has been historically quite some years now uh, been adopted at Danske Bank. And I'll give you a little bit of sneak peek how it used to look like more than a year ago and how to some extent still looks like as our evolution is in, uh, is in progress. So we had at least five unofficial DevOps operating models uh, within the same firm. And you can question if those were coexisting um, or coming into conflict and, and number of CSD pipelines and N means God knows and here I really mean it. It was a little bit scary. We've done the environmental scanning of how many CSDs have been around. Thousands of hours of lead times on infrastructure provisioning and not only in general around technical uh, requests. A lot of capability fragmentation and duplication. So basically, for instance, our standard CSD pipeline and ITSM tool integration wasn't the best it could be. So the two capabilities were fragmented. 
And then, for instance, we had more than one observability frameworks lying around in the firm, duplicating uh, more or less the same solutions. On top of it, we had concept reconciliation gaps. So uh, the agile methodology that was followed historically by the firm was not realigned with the DevOps adoption. Our whole portfolio planning was not aligned with uh, management adoption and so on. And then we had a lot of awareness. So basically we did caught ourselves talking about concepts without really understanding in essence what they mean or even using the same words but meaning different things and then basically getting lost in translation. We have at the same time been primarily focused on DDD and here we paraphrase uh, BDD and TDD. Uh, DDD in this case stands for deploy, deploy, deploy. So the most important thing it was release velocity and to ship uh, new functionality and products to production. Uh, and then we didn't have strong mechanisms about verifying uh, both adherence to uh, very minimum um, requirements on, on how to build, run, and deploy software, but also to the broadest context on, on, on where we are. Now, surprisingly enough, this has been working. So basically, in our home markets, we did maintain our competitive advantage. We have a couple of products that are award-winning almost on an annual basis in, in European competitions. Uh, but what we came to realize uh, is that this cannot be long-term sustainable because it has been complex, it has been costly. There was a lot of shadow IT here and there that had operational risk, which was unknown. And basically, we had to do something about it. Now, before going and tell you how we, we, we approach the situation, I have a little bit of a poll uh, in here and I'll give you a little bit of some seconds. So if you look into these seven state-of-the-art characteristics, if I may call it my way, can you pick which one better describes your current DevOps adoption in your organization? I think I can guess which one will come on top, but I'm really curious actually to, to see that. Right, moving on. So basically we knew that we had some complication. Nevertheless, we knew that we had some very solid fundamentals that we could build on top. And then basically we came up with this one that we call our 360 degrees DevSecOps operating model. And I can say with pride that is tailor-made by us for us. Um, and it starts with what are the outcomes that we want to achieve with evolving the, the DevOps setup. This is not exhaustive, what you see on the left-hand side, but these are the main ones. So basically, we want to make sure that we're compliant. And that is compliance towards our main regulators, which is the Nordic FSAs and the British FCA, but also to internal policies that are under banking secrecy and, and, and define internally what we are allowed to do and, and what not. Then we want to, to digitalize our customer journeys uh, make everything as a service as fast as possible from the person who would like to use our mobile banking and is a person on the street to a business user that needs to be able to see progress on, um, on, on, on the release velocity of an application to a person that wants to sell a service himself from IT to IT and get a, a, a Linux machine provisioned. Then we want to accelerate productivity, primarily looking into the people that they design, build, deploy and run software, but then everyone around them who is uh, a supportive uh, function to that and then make sure that we get aligned while we maintain uh, autonomy on the teams uh, that uh, deliver software and this actually has been one of the motives to shift towards the Spotify model to make sure that we provide enhanced autonomy uh, to our tribes but at the same time make sure that this is in a aligned way and it doesn't go sideways um, making even worse the context that we, we had ourselves starting point. So taking you a little bit through the model, this is not uh, exhaustive. It's much more complex in reality, but um, I'm sure it can give you a very good taste. On the top pillar, we have the vision on what we want to achieve with DevOps. How can we tactically fit it into the overall adoption? 
and what are the run the bank principles that we want to organize under operating in DevSecOps concept and context. So our enterprise agility and DevSecOps reconciliation field guide is a good example here on what does it mean to go the Spotify model while injecting DevOps organizer principles into it. Then we do a lot around the enablement uh, on how we can roll out this evolution. The TICE model is one example. How we can scale and measure. We have our own DevOps journey model and then how we can uh, amend the culture and incubate our people through our coding school uh, being one example. Now, inevitably, DevOps is something that is moving quite fast. We want to stay relevant. It's one of the reasons why uh, we're attending this conference. We want to see what happens in the industry. We want to make sure that we stay on the edge and our toes. So we do a lot of stuff around environmental scanning, partnering up with, uh, with companies outside uh, ours. The core of this model now is what we call capability engineering and advancement. So basically, this is a set of capabilities that we see as the heart in order to materialize the model. We have broken it down into four pillars, uh, starting with the technological ecosystem and the ambition to offer, not, I'm not going to call it everything because I disagree with the term everything, but as much as possible and feasible as a service and with interoperability. Our multi-hybrid cloud approach is, is one element here, uh, as well as a standard CICD pipeline. A lot of things around quality assurance engineering that we want to advance and see left, and we do a lot of work on stabilizing uh, test environments. Um, a quite thorough and, and, and broad uh, SDLC engineering and basically looking into the way that we build, deploy, run software and the corresponding processes. We are creating a new observability and reliability framework, actually, uh, in order to harmonize uh, across agnostic platforms. And then quite a lot of stuff around compliance and security that we want to implement as a code uh, and shift left. Examples here is our new SOD policy. The old one was outdated. It was not fit for purpose, so we had to rewrite it uh, and be a little bit more creative and, and agile, to, to, to call it that way. And then consecutively, that is uh, requiring quite of a re-engineering in our identity and access management model to support that policy. Now we're looking into a lot of enablers. We have, st we have started using frameworks and patterns, which is something that we haven't really been used to uh, due to being allowed to go different directions. Uh, a lot around policy engineering, so we want people to follow policies without realizing it, to put it that way. Um, uh, stuff around our people's skill set, uplift and mentality change, as well as more demarcation of ownership of capabilities. And last but not least, uh, a lot of stuff around technology, which is a core enabler. So basically now I've taken you through high level into what we want to do. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go through everything, but I'm going to focus into these three areas uh, and deep dive a little bit to, to how we do things. So you have seen the model and now, okay, happily we have a model. Parts of it are already in place and being launched. Parts of it are coming along the way. We have up till the end of 2022 to bring it all into life and adopt it. And you got to ask, how do we do it? Um, and basically the main principle is that we want to do it in alignment. And we're using a model that we call TIES. This stands for Themes, Initiatives, Epics, and Stories. The themes and initiatives are uh, capabilities that are to be enabled and adopted in the organization. And primarily looking into that level, we talk about capability enablement on the organizational level. So basically, if you recall the, the previous model, it can be a subset of what we have as technology as a service. And then the epics and stories are the ones that are being broken down into the backlogs of our tribes. And basically, this is the adoption on a tribe level. Now, it is very important to mention that this applies to everyone. So it is equally applicable to all uh, tribes. 
the model, and then all the rest that are technology capability enablers are chipping in into it. What is very important to mention is that we want to balance innovation, reliability, and compliance. So if you look across the themes, you're going to see a very fine balance between these three, while being a little bit extra conscious on the latter for obvious reasons. Now we have several themes. Actually, I don't recall the number now. I think there are more than 30 in, 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 in reality, but not all of them are applicable to the DevSecOps journey. On the DevSecOps journey, we have primarily three of them that actually are balancing between the regulatory track, which is mandatory things we need to do for our regulators, but also banking secrecy, and then technological ones that are to be uh, adopted at relevance. So I've uh, brought the three ones that are applicable to, to the DevSecOps evolution and given some examples here in order to, to give you a taste on, on the one hand on what is in it, uh, but also how do they reconcile the three of them because they tell the, the, the same picture at the end. So we have one that we call development speed, and this is different capabilities we want to enable in order to speed up our path to production while being conscious of reliability and compliance at the same time. Our CICD pipeline completeness um, is an example here. Then we have the cloud first one, which is, uh, as an example, an agnostic continuous deployment framework uh, for the applications that have been chosen and will be chosen to, to become aggressively cloud native and aggressively cloud native in our own dictionary means public cloud included. And then we have a lot of controls around our SDLC uh, and our source code repositories integrity. It is one example on this one. Um, I have this queue and the continuous cycle in the middle to tell you that there's a continuous realignment almost on a daily basis in here a minute between these two. Um, but uh, a formal one every quarter when we collectively across the organization, we also do capacity planning and benefit realization, but also an annual one uh, in order to check whether we're on the right track. So this is a little bit on how we do it in alignment. And then, yes, of course, in alignment, but we are not identical. Yeah, actually, this is great because if we were all identical, it would have just be boring. So we need to do it in an aligned way, but we also need to do it at relevance. Um, and basically where we see the biggest differences across our tribes, it is the business context. You cannot compare markets front office with um, a more slow moving area, which is primarily having internal consumers. Uh, the maturity variation of the DevSecOps adoption that goes horizontally across tribes, but goes vertically into the squads in different tribes. A lot of variation in the portfolio composition. This is just indicative, but it gives you the feeling that each squad, definitely each tribe, but each squad has a hybrid portfolio to take care of. And then quite a lot of differences when it comes to the quality aspects of the applications. And the most profound ones are the time to market, the resiliency uh, requirements, availability requirements, but also the client and, uh, and the regulatory impact. So taking these circumstances into account, plus others that for the economies of the session I haven't put into the slide, we had to come with a model that we knew that it cannot be perfect because um, life is not perfect and we don't know what is ahead of us. Plans are changing but definitely will be something that can be used as a compass on the one hand to explain to our people how they could do it at relevance, but also give a central mechanism to, um, uh, to other areas in order to be able to capture the adoption speed and adoption success. So we came up with what we call the at relevance framework. And basically this is using as a basis the, the applications, the portfolio of applications in each tribe, and it takes a forward looking perspective. So basically it looks into how these applications are to evolve in the future. 
making it simpler than it really is in reality in order to, to explain it. Um, some of our mainframes, we're exiting them. Some, we need to optimize them. When we talk about the distributed area, either they're going to go through a transformation, maybe a radical one that will lead to cloud native, or they're going to stay as they are. And then the cloud native ones, they're going to be on an evolution journey to become even more cloud native while staying on premises, or even more cloud native whether they leave the premises, um, depending on uh, on their nature and, uh, and business case. And then we have a DevOps, uh, DevSecOps journey model that we have defined. This is just illustrative. It doesn't look exactly like that. It looks similar to that though, so you can get a taste. And basically what we have done is that we have run capabilities. And as you can see, these are going beyond the CICD pipelines. We have uh, run capabilities that actually give you an evolution of your application and give you a compass a direction of what will be your journey. The color coding is identical, so you can try and do a mapping on what is applicable uh, in each of the case. But the most important thing here actually is that we want to enable a minimum agnostic evolution. And this minimum agnostic evolution says that whatever your application landscape and whatever the journey that you're going to take, there's some very minimum adherence. I'm not going to in compliance because it's not only compliance elements, but um, very minimum adherence that you need to adapt to. And this is applicable as I mentioned, to, to whatever the, the, the journey of your application. But then as you get away from that and you get into the distributed and cloud native world, then the, it comes the whole evolution of relevance. And then it is up to you following the themes work that we do in alignment, but also looking internally into your demand together with your stakeholders, primarily the product owners, on which direction you would like to, to evolve. Um, and if I were to, to simulate it a little bit, let's say that the cloud, the dark cloud that you see at the bottom left is an application that currently is on design phase. And we want to make it the best flagship, the best lighthouse of cloud nativeness at the bank. It simply needs to use some steps and follow a journey in order to get up in there. And as I said, this model is not perfect because in many cases we don't know how the applications will evolve, but it can cover a lot of uh, the mainstream examples without necessarily the need to be applied across all applications. So each tribe that we have and the, the lead tribe architect do have a view on, on which direction they want to go. And obviously they start this evolution with some flagship applications that um, make the quality primarily aspects of them even more profound. It is important to mention that we don't measure maturity here and that's a conscious decision we've taken. Uh, our taste around maturity assessments did not reveal uh, that it will be effective. So primarily what we capture is adherence and completeness. Uh, and definitely for the minimum agnostic evolution, we uh, enabling an adherence as code uh, practice. So basically we can see who has done the minimum agnostic adoption. And then the similar comes into the evolution of relevance where there it becomes a little bit more lighter because there's no very much high need to, to provide evidence in an engineer way for regulatory purposes. It's not as simple as you look at this slide, this is illustrative, but it's to give you a taste on the approach we're taking and also to, to make it a little bit more visible that we didn't want to buy anything from the self. And we collected some good brains that we have internally, we have many of those, uh, came up with something that we do believe it, it can be uh, a fit to our context and, and ambitions. Now, when it comes to the multi-hybrid cloud approach, we starting with uh, with Cloud2, this is our pride actually, it's our internal custom-made portal uh, through which we can um, provision infrastructure as code. 
many different assets from Linux to Windows machines and RabbitMQs. That's primarily based on Terraform templates and, and playbooks. And it's something that we have been building over the years and something that we are enhancing. We do use containers a lot. We have a quite good uh, percentage of containers adoption in our applications. OpenShift is a strategic platform. We just upgraded to OpenShift 4 and it looks great. We still have things on open source, uh, Docker open source, um, in applications, smaller workflows, but we have taken the strategic decision to move everything that is containerized to OpenShift and, and this is to happen in, in the foreseeable future. So these are private cloud, which is on premises. Uh, and then we're doing a lot of due diligence and preparation on public cloud, primarily looking into what we want to achieve and what we need to do, uh, ensuring compliance and security. Um, when we look into infrastructure as a service, we look primarily into offloading our data center. Um, when we look into platform as a service, it's buying capabilities of the self, primarily in the analytics and data sphere and not have to build them in cloud to ourselves. And obviously, uh, when we talk about software as a service, it's primarily collaboration tools. Now, our people can have two paths to the cloud. Um, the one is to refactor their application to cloud native and have created our own cloud native um, definition. So that means an application building microservices, means an application using domain-driven design and be decoupled as much as possible from the mainframes, especially on the data dependency. Using cloud two to provision your infrastructure, using containers. We are adopting and launching in our standard CICD pipeline GitOps frameworks, actually. So whoever is onboarded to the, to the new pipeline, they're gonna get some very nice YAML templates out of the box. Then depending on your application, the scale of it, using more of other cloud native technologies for service discovery and secret management, but also prove that you can handle reliability proactively. Maybe you do a little bit of case engineering. We're gonna love hearing the story. Uh, and also make sure that you can uh, approve your compliance adherence as, as code basically and follow the guidelines in order to automatically uh, provide evidence or, on that. And then the second is the lift and shift and this is obviously if the application is already cloud native. It is in cases that the application uh, cloud native in the journey is going to be more costly than the return of the investment but also cases that we have to move something fast and we cannot waste the time. Um, now, in either cases, we do cloud native assessments to define how cloud native we are or not. And also we have an eligibility and trade-off analysis tool that we're using in order to do the mathematics and not only of uh, any potential migration. Now, what we have learned so far, and we have learned a lot, <laughs> just a little bit and we learn every day. I learned something this morning, uh, by the way. So uh, make sure that you check the organizational temperature when you get started and continuously. Uh, for us, it was, for instance, very important when we got started to understand that we talk about a massive transformation, that we talk about people that they're gonna be very busy with too many things, people that are gonna change teams, reporting hierarchies and everything. So we had to set the tempo, but also this is something that we are doing uh, as we speak in order to manage expectations uh, and, and make sure that we don't try to do more than we can digest to put it that way. Then, of course, make it hybrid uh, and make it as broad as possible across your ecosystem, horizontally, vertically. Invite people, define who is a key counterpart of this ecosystem. I can tell you that in the DevSecOps COE, where we have our partnership matrix, we have 14, one, four areas on top of tribes that we need to do things together in order to enable the vision. Avoid excess innovation. I know Kubernetes is maybe the coolest term in IT in the past years, and it's going to keep being. 
Like you don't need Kubernetes all over the place and just be mindful on the one hand when you enable capabilities, but also when you adopt them, um, you might fall into the fallacy of trying to make it super excellent, but then have other issues on the side. And then, as I mentioned, a must uh, scale at relevance and alignment. Make sure that you all know the direction you want to go. Make sure it's clear to people why, what, and then give them the opportunity to do it at relevance. So don't bundle everyone in the same t-shirt size because this is not going to work. Now, what not to do? Uh, don't pretend you're another organization. Uh, I can tell you that you're not Netflix, or maybe you are. I don't know exactly who is attending, but the vast majority of you are not Netflix. So it's good to get inspiration from companies like Netflix, AWS, and Google, uh, but make sure that you adopt things uh, based on your context and not really try to do things that you don't need. And I can tell you that at Danskeban, we don't have global operations for 24 hours across continents. So basically, the way that we do scaling and right-sizing can be a little bit more naive than what Google does. Then don't boil the DevOps ocean. So 360 degrees, yes, but step by step. And here I can tell you my own romantic story. In the first presentation I've given to our management of the, the, the idea and the skeleton for the 360 degree model, it was called overwhelming. And then I went back and looked at it myself and it was indeed overwhelming. So basically start with the basics, get the people aligned, get them to digest it, and then build on top of it slowly, slowly. Don't go bum, we're gonna do all these things. Um, don't tell your teams exactly how to do it. Focusing on, focus on what they need to do and by when, but don't tell them exactly for primarily two reasons. One, you've got to kill creativity and innovation, and that will increase frustration. And secondly, you don't know their context. So basically myself, being at the DevSecOps um, Center of Excellence, I don't know the nitty-gritty details of any application in any squad in any of the 26 tribes out there. So basically, don't get into wasting the time of you and your partners with trying to micromanage how they're going to do things. Nevertheless, do provide common patterns and frameworks to speed up the adoption and give guidelines. Allow people to, to self-invite themselves. I call it the fellowship of the ring internally. So bringing the people together that they, they need to play a key role, but allow self-invitations. You might be surprised that some areas you haven't really thought about engaging them because maybe it didn't sound straightforward. And then when they reach out to you with a couple of ideas on how they can play ball, it sounds excellent. So don't restrict yourselves into the obvious areas that then need to come into play. Um, and then realize, don't realize benefits in isolation. I've been hearing this thing, and the ones from Danske Bank that in the session now they're gonna smile. 20 minutes release velocity you have achieved, and you simply don't tell me anything. So basically look into front-to-back flows because speed by itself doesn't say anything. Uh, customer satisfaction, reliability, compliance, security, uh, team satisfaction, these are also elements that are important. So basically try to look into the front-to-back flow uh, and don't just get stuck into isolated performance indicators that maybe tell you something, but maybe that's just an indication of the true story on, on, on where you really are. So this is a, a little bit, and as I said, it's not exhaustive. We learned much more. Unfortunately, we don't have time, and I want to leave you with this one. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to just give you some seconds to read it yourselves. So make out of DevOps one, uh, use DevOps to make what you want to make out of it, and don't try to replicate something or implement it by the book. Then closing, I uh, would like to thank you all for attending. Thanks to everyone at Danske Bank and their many uh, for making things happen. And we have three minutes for questions. Excellent. Thanks, Biridon. That was uh, really, really good. Uh, let me get straight to the questions. I've got two questions um, from the audience. Uh, one was, are you following the Spotify model by the book or have you done some changes? 
talking of not pretending to be Netflix. <laughs> very, very much correct. So basically we have done some changes on the way that we organize uh, within the tribes. Uh, but also we have done changes on the way that we do the quarterly and annual business reviews as well. So I can tell you that we have a, a field guide on how we implement Scrum in the tribes. This is resembling uh, quite much the Spotify model. But if I look into the DevOps organizing principles, these are tailor-made from the ground. Um, so we have taken what we could see being applicable, and then what we couldn't see really fitting in, we have tailor-made it. Cool, okay. And then there's one more question. Um, this one was understand what is your classic security team's involvement in how cloud deployments are managed at Danska? Absolutely. So basically they are involved uh, primarily into three areas. One is governance controls. So basically what compliance and security controls we need to have in place, not only when we reach the point of the CD, uh, but looking into the whole HDLC. Secondly, they're responsible to uh, support with policy engineering on the CI part and CD. That has to do with um, uh, secret management, uh, static code analysis, open source scanning, uh, validation of images in the staging area, post-deployment, all this cool stuff. And then they hold the policy around application security left, we call it. So basically there are some design principles and patterns that teams need to follow in order to implement secure um, applications. Now another very important role that they have, they are the dotted line towards ITBRC, which is our IT business risk and control unit, which is our interface towards the FSAs and FCAs. So they're a little bit of the channel towards the delivery areas on what is the dialogue and negotiation with the regulator as well. So they have a very important and, and, and diverse role actually. Excellent. And then one quick one, and then we'll, this will be the last one. Do you build slash use system teams? Uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna reveal. I know where you're coming from. We're not doing safe. I personally, uh, okay, cannot say that loudly. I don't believe in safe. And I know system teams is a, is a term coming from there. I cannot reveal to you exactly what is the DevOps organizing principles in our squads, squads, but we don't have system teams. Excellent. Okay, I mean, there's a lot more questions coming up. So I think, uh, Spiridon, if you have a look and type the answers in, that would be really, uh, you know, helpful for, for our attendees. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much for hosting me. It was a true pleasure. Cool. Thank, Thank you. Very you. Much.